0: The end of the story of the flood, right? So the, the rain comes down, the flood comes up, like all people on earth die, except for Moses and some animals and his family. And then, did I say Moses? I did that this morning while I was practicing and I told myself I would not do that. Y'all are like, this is way above your pay grade. So... That happened. <laughs> Moses, I love it. Noah, let's see if it happens again. Call me out because I did it all morning this morning. Oh my goodness. So Noah and his family. Um, that is mortifying. Anyway, so then then uh, the the this is a good that's a good place to start. So dry ground appears. Uh, yay, Noah and his family and the animals are, are saved. And then this is, this is what happens. Start at, we'll start at verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals and all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and rainbows appear in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever a rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures of every kind on earth. So God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all life on earth. He wants to make it very clear, never again, never again, never again. This is a covenant between me and all the creatures of earth. This is a covenant between me and you and all the creatures on earth. And it's repeated and repeated and repeated. God's like, this is a covenant between me and everybody, all life on earth. He wants to make sure that we all. Get it, right? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a guy who likes things to work out okay. Like, I'm a big fan of happy endings. What about you? Like, when I'm watching a, a show or reading a book or I'm, I'm watching a movie, uh, I, tend to, I tend to find myself rooting for things to turn out well, right? Like, like I want the bad guys to get caught and go to jail, I want, the, I want the young man to get the young woman of his dreams, or the young woman to get the young man of his dreams. I want, I want all of earth to be saved from the alien invasion so that things can be put, put back right again, right? I'm a big fan of happy endings. How many of you are a big fan of happy endings? You like happy endings? What we read this morning is sort of a, a, a happy ending uh, to a story, right? God says, never again. This is my covenant with you. And between me and you and every living creature of every kind on earth, never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy all the earth. But before we can, I think, grasp the fullness of the happiness of this happy ending, I think it's important for us to take a step back and rehearse the rest of the story and think about that a little bit. And maybe even be absolutely shocked and horrified by what happens there now i'm not the first one uh, to make this connection i'm just the next one in a long line of people who have made uh, this connection but i want you to imagine with me a mommy and a daddy walking through the 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 toy store looking for the perfect gift for their child birthday gift maybe it's ages 2 to to 4 years old and they're walking through the aisles of the toy store and and they're looking at all the normal things that you buy for two to four-year-olds. And then they're, they're not really impressed. They want to find the perfect gift. And so they go around and they, they start going down the next aisle. And they see the most horrific and absolutely disgusting toy concept you can ever imagine. They see a Nazi concentration play set complete with little figurines of, of Hitler and Nazi soldiers. And no, 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 no. Uh-uh. No. Horrifying. Terrible. right next to it, they see the, the 9-11 Twin Towers 3D playset, 3D puzzle. No. No, we would never do that. No CEO of any company, of any toy store on earth would ever green light a project like that. And if any one of us walked through the aisles of a toy store and saw that, we would be horrified and disgusted and there would be a national outrage. There would be boycotts, there would be protests, there would be, that company would lose millions and millions of dollars and probably go out of business. We would never, ever tolerate anything like that ever right here's the interesting thing Uh, many of us who have kids have or have had a toy set that would fit in very well with that we're talking about a boat talking about a little figure um, named Noah we're talking about cute little animals like two of every kind. We're talking, maybe even a dove with a little olive branch just for a little extra flourish in there, right? So we're talking about a toy set for the story of the flood. Now think about that for a moment. Imagine the worst downpour you can possibly imagine that last 40 days and 40 nights. Dry ground, Pfft. You can forget about that. There's no dry ground. Everybody, all life on earth, they all drown except for Noah and his family, right? You know, I can't think of of many worse ways to go, can you, than drowning? Like that just seems horrifying. So this this wasn't an easy way for Noah's neighbors to go down, right? There would have been complete chaos. As the rains came down and the floods came up. Imagine it. People would have been thinking, oh my goodness, what is happening here? And as the the floods continued to come up, what would they do? They would scramble for the highest ground that they could find. And they would probably, as high ground became more and more scarce, they would probably fight each other to get to high ground right? Really, the story of the flood is probably the most horrific story in the Bible. Let's just be honest about it. If you think about the details, it's probably the most horrific story that we find in the Bible. And yet, Noah and his ark is typically portrayed as a happy little children's story. Right? We deal with the G-rated version of this story time and time again. It's suitable for all audiences. And we even make up happy little songs about it. Some of you maybe even grow up, grew up singing happy little songs about Noah and the flood. How many of you recognize this one? God told Noah to build him an arky arky, right? And then he's supposed to build it out of gopher barky, barky. And then when the water goes down... The sun will dry up all the landy, landy, and how does everything turn out? All fine and dandy, dandy, really? Not so sure I want to be there when the flood waters recede. Think about the carnage left behind. Think about as Noah got off the boat. Ever, ever, ever wonder what happens to all those people and all those animals after the flood? Ever think about that? If you think about this story seriously enough, it becomes pretty gory and gross pretty quickly. Like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I, no, I don't want to think about that. Like, we don't want anything to do, this is like the R-rated version, we don't want to have anything to do with it. We don't want to hear that before the flood, God had this in our heart. This is, this is from the story. The Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created. We don't want to hear the, the constant rhythmic refrain in chapter seven that goes like this. All flesh died that moved on the earth. All flesh died that moved along the earth. We'd rather cover that up We'd rather, we'd rather try to let God off the hook and we'd rather try to explain it away. Some people say this wasn't a global flood. It was just a local flood. So the dev- devastation wasn't as big. Uh, some people just flat out ignore that. And then we just uh, talk about, yay, the salvation part of it. Noah and his family, they're saved. Yay, we! And then they have a barbecue afterwards and God smells it. It's like, that smells good. That's what we focus on. Right? But I don't know if we can do those things, not if we're honest about this story. Like it's appropriate to hold back when talking about this story with our kids, right? But for the rest of us, can we ignore that stuff? Can we just go over the tough parts of the story and try to explain it away? It's in this book we call the sacred scriptures the word of God. So we have to deal with it. Like I said, even if it brings up more questions than answers, even if we don't think we can have even if we don't think we can understand it completely, even if we think this is above my pay grade, this is beyond me, I don't know if I can make sense of it all. So we look at the story of the flood and we have all kinds of questions, right? What does this story say about us human beings? What does it say about us? What does this story say about God? What, what did the ancient Israelites, what, what did this story mean to them? Why did they even put this in the Bible and preserve this story for us? So what does this say about us human beings? I mean, the shocking events of the flood, I think, revealed to us just how far human beings had fallen and just how badly things have gotten. If you want to know what that was like, Go back to Genesis chapter 6 and read the details about it. I'm not going to give them to you now. Go back to Genesis 6 and read the details. And there will be some people who today will look at that and say, nothing's changed. It's as bad now as it was back then. Take, just think about it a little bit. Right? So we human beings, things can get bad. We can make a mess of things. So what does this say about God. The shocking events of this story also display for us how seriously God takes sin. Shows us just how heartbroken, sad, and angry God gets when human sin makes itself so obvious and gets so bad. So God takes sin seriously. We can make a mess of things. God takes that very seriously. So what's the significance? Why why is this even in the Bible? Why is it in there? Well, maybe the story of the flood is in there to show us what God could always choose to do in the face of human depravity, of human sin. Maybe it's there. I could be wrong. Be flat out honest about that. But maybe it's there to show us what God could always choose to do in the face of human sin, human disobedience. Right? Look around the world. Don't you ever think to yourself, God should just start all over again. Not here, like over there. Some other part of the world. God, start over, over there. We're fine. But don't you ever have that feeling like, man, God could really start over there. And that would probably be, that'd probably be the best thing for the whole planet. Just wipe the slate clean. like Push the power button and hold it on long enough for the thing to restart. System reboot. Begin again from scratch so the rain comes down and the flood comes up and only a handful of people and animals survive. Let's not minimize the, the tragic loss of human life in the flood. Right? God takes sin seriously. It grieves God. God created heaven and earth and everything in between. God created the world so that everything could flourish. Plants, animals, all of creation, people. Put people in charge to make sure that everything has its place and everything flourishes, it grows and becomes beautiful and whenever that is broken, whenever that is prevented, that grieves God's heart. God takes that seriously. Maybe the story of the flood is in there to remind us that God could always choose to do that. God takes sin seriously. Oh, let me get to chapter 9, and things get things get actually really interesting. Because here's the thing. Did you know that other ancient cultures had flood stories, too? <laughs> yeah. Other, like the Sumerians and the Babylonians and others, they had ancient flood stories, too. Most of them predate the one that we find here in the Bible. They had just Google Epic of Gilgamesh and learn about that. They had ancient flood stories too, and all of those flood stories follow the same basic plot when you really look at it. The plot goes a little bit like this. Human beings make a mess of things. They behave badly, misbehave in humans, and then the gods get angry. And so what the gods do is they send a big flood and it wipes everything out, and the gods then start all over, right? And the implication here is that if things get bad they told these stories so that if things get bad enough, look out, that's gonna happen. The implication here is simple. Behave, or this is what's gonna happen. Right? Or what I tell my kids, be good or be busted. That's the gig. Right? This is what's gonna happen. So it's sort of a fear-driven narrative be good, or be busted. That's how all those stories go. But then, we get to Israel's flood story. And Israel's flood story is a different sort of story. The floodwaters recede, Dry ground appears again, and God said to Noah and his sons with him in verse 9, I now establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I will establish my covenant with you never again. Will all life be cut off by the waters of the flood? Never again. Will there be a flood to destroy the earth and never again, never again, never again? You ever do something you want to take back, like you want to redo? You ever had that before? Like you spoken in words in, in anger, or you falsely accuse someone, or, or you ridicule someone for something they've, they've done, you like to sort of go back and have a redo. Have you ever had that feeling? Or how about you, parents? When you, when you punish your kids, how does that make you feel? Like We know how they feel. How does it make you feel? When you punish your kids. Like as a parent, whenever I have to hand out a punishment, I never really feel good about it, at all. I know it's hard to believe, but my kids sometimes do things they're not supposed to do. Willfully, on purpose, deliberately. And sometimes we have to hand out a punishment, right? So we'll send them to their rooms to get a timeout, mostly so that everybody can just calm down breathe. And then we have to hand out a punishment, like we have to take away something that's significant to them for a little while, or we have to take away privileges that they enjoy normally for a little while. We have to hand out punishments. But for me, handing out a punishment, it's like, even if it's it's deserved and righteous, it's like, I don't like that. I don't like that. It never feels good. It makes me sad. I grieve. It's hard. Now, as the floodwaters begin to dry up, God finds exactly zero comfort in what just happened. Some would call it righteous judgment on the people of earth, and he finds no comfort. Instead, God looks at the sopping wet, think about how bad they smelled 40 days and 40 nights in a sweaty, sopping wet ark with all those animals. He sees those people, how badly they smell, and God can't help but feel love and compassion for them. Those other stories, they don't go there. This story, this flood story, goes here. It's filled with compassion and love. Never again, God says. Never again. Genesis 9 is God's covenant that assures Noah and us that what God could always choose to do doesn't equal what God will do. In other words, God's grace bridles holds back, tempers God's judgment. God's grace bridles, holds back, tempers God's judgment. At this point, God decides he's going to deal with sin in a very specific way. God decides that grace will be the way that God deals with sin. At the beginning of creation, grace was God's first word. If you think about it, think. go back to Genesis 1. It's this big, beautiful, buoyant, joyous story of creation. Like, it's like everything is exploding in beauty. God said, let there be light, and there was light, and it was good. Let there be sky, let there be land, and it was good. Let there be animals, all kinds of living creatures. Let them fill the sea and the birds of the air, and it was good. Oh, let us create human beings in our image. Male and female we've created. Oh, and it's so good. It's not just good, it's very good. That's God's first word. It's grace. And grace will be his last. He says to Noah in verse 19, I've set my rainbow in the clouds. Quick word about that, about that word. Uh, In Hebrew, the word for rainbow is exactly the same word as an archer's bow. So in a very real sense, what God is saying to Noah and his family, see, I've set my bow in the clouds. I'm taking my bow of war, turning it into a bow of peace. I'm turning my bow from pointing at the earth, and I'm turning it to point at heaven, which of course takes on all kinds of significance when we think about Jesus. Jesus. And the cross and God says whenever I see that bow I will remember my promise to you and grace and mercy will flow from my heart oh it's not how those other stories go this story oh it's a new thing and in its day revolutionarily beautiful now maybe you're saying to yourself okay now what Where's, where's the call to action? Give me something to do this week. Sir, don't have to call me sir. As we remember the reality of, of God's grace covering his judgment against us, we can now more easily offer grace to the world, covering our own judgment. We see events of injustice all the time. We see injustice happen and we're quick to judge, we're quick to want revenge to strike back with force or even overwhelming force. Or we experience people who wound us deeply and we're quick to feel anger. We're quick to want to strike back. We're quick to want, to, want God to make things right again. Give them what they deserve. Here's what I think. I think God sends us out of this place and back to, into a broken world with, with rainbows in our minds and on our hearts. God covers us with his grace in this place. And then God sends us out there with that same grace. I mean, for us, it could be all flood all the time. that's what we see out there. We see all flood all the time from all sorts of uh, different places. It could be all flood all the time against those with whom we disagree, or whatever. Or it could be all grace, all the time. God leans the grace way. Which way will we we lean? Let's pray. God, thanks uh, for your word, for this story, and ultimately for your grace. Now this story, we're just gonna be honest about it. There are parts of it that confuse us. There are parts of it that we don't like. There are parts of it that that make us cringe. There are parts of it that we wish weren't there. We'll just be honest about that. Um, But we thank you for your grace. We thank you for covering us with your grace. We thank you for the covenant that you made so long ago. Covenant of grace. We thank you for the new covenant that you've given us in Jesus. We thank you for the forgiveness that he offers us. And we ask, oh God, that we would be so transformed by that grace that we would be agents of your grace in the world around us, wherever we are, whenever we are there. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.